What is up, everyone? This is the Buffalo Blitz right here on the Built on Buffalo Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter network. We appreciate everyone that is watching on all those platforms. Obviously, we usually do a live show. It's going to be going right now at Tuesday, eight o'clock. So when or eight o'clock, so when you're watching it, but we're pre-recording this other reasons. But we're going to give you guys a great hour of content. It's a jam-packed episode. We're talking DeAndre Hopkins. We're talking OTAs. We're talking the Bills signing Brandon Shell off its tackle from the Miami Dolphins. And we're going to do that with Ryan Talbot. And we're going to bring him bring him on in about a minute. But Lance, how are we doing tonight? And tell everyone about our sponsor. Doing well, doing well. Bills Mafia, how you doing out there? Uh, our sponsor is Underdog Fantasy. It's the best daily fantasy app out there. Uh, you can use it on the web or as an app on your cell phone or tablet. Promo code BLITZ gets you a, fa- a deposit match up to $100. So you can deposit from $10 to $100 and get that deposit matched in total. The Best Ball Mania 4 is our is the largest fantasy football contest ever. It's got a total prize pool of $15 million with $3 million to first place. So another reason to sign up with promo code BLITZ and get in on the Best Ball also, during a lot of the playoffs for the other sports, they have a lot of specials for the NBA. They had one for Jalen Brown tonight. So a lot of cool specials, ways to get in on the action on a daily basis without a season-long fantasy commitment. Uh, and you get to win some money as well. So, Yes, and if you do miss this episode, you can always rewatch it on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. You can comment on Facebook and YouTube throughout the episode. And... If you prefer the podcast version, Wednesday mornings, this comes out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, time enough of that. Let's time to get into some content. And we're going to bring on Ryan Talbot, who covers the Bills for Syracuse.com, NewYorkUpstate.com, and one of the hosts, along with Matt Perino of The Shout, a Buffalo football podcast. Ryan, did I get that right? Yeah, you got it all. You nailed it. How are we doing tonight? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Good. We're excited. We're excited. It's always it's a, it's a change of scenery where it's just not Lance and I just going back and forth for an hour, right, Lance? Yeah, absolutely. No, we're glad to have you. Thanks for coming on. Like I said before. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, and obviously, plenty to talk about. Yeah, so let's 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 not waste any time. We'll get right into it. So the Bills today on Monday, or not announced, or Jeremy Fowler announced, and along with you, Ryan, you broke the news as well this morning that they reached agreement with Brandon Shell former offensive tackle with the Miami Dolphins, started 11 games last year for the Miami Dolphins. So, Ryan, I'm going to start with you. What were your initial thoughts on this potential signing that is not technically official yet? Yeah, you know, I like it. The the Bills went back and going all the way back to mid-March. They showed interest in Puna Ford. They showed interest in Brandon Shell. And then, obviously, nothing happened before the draft. Uh, After the draft happens, that's when all of a sudden you don't have to worry about that compensatory pick formula anymore. They were able to secure what's most likely going to be a third round pick for Tremaine Edmonds. So they signed Ford. And then a few weeks later, you know, now Brendan Shell's still sitting out there on the market and you're signing a guy that has a ton of experience, 72 career starts. Uh, he has started double digit games and every year since 2017 uh, came into the league in 2016 with the Jets. So, Double-digit starts every season up to from his second year on. Someone that I think can come in. You know, I think they want, by all means, to give Spencer Brown that starting right tackle job. 
Uh, but it gives him a viable opponent, real competition here at camp. He's someone that if Spencer Brown does struggle this year, whether it's due to injuries or just play itself, they at least have someone that they feel like, okay, he, he is someone that is serviceable, someone that we can get through the season with. You know, I know that's probably not what Bills fans want to hear. They probably want to hear this guy's going to be an all pro. This guy's going to be all this, that, or the other. But, you, you know, it's a 31-year-old offensive tackle that's been sitting on the market here uh, very late into May for a reason. He, he's still a quality player. Uh, so for that reason alone, I really do like the signing. Lance, your initial thoughts on the signing? Yeah, I like it. Obviously, I, I wonder how that uh, fits with Questenberry being there as well, because he's a similar type of um, player, although he doesn't have the starts under his belt like uh, Shell has. So uh, two kind of depth pieces there that they have that can play right tackle. Questenberry may be a little more, well, more versatile and he can play a couple other positions as well. But, uh, you know, Brandon Shell, obviously with his starting um, pedigree, obviously not an all-pro like Ryan said, but I really like the fact that he's coming in um, and going to push our guys. He's going to make, you know, that iron sharpens iron mentality that we've kind of been having. I think we've brought in competition at every position we can. Look at the safeties, right? We have now a ton of safety depth. We are talking off air, and I think that, this iron sharpens iron mentality that the coaching staff and the, and the GM and that regime has is really nice to see because you, you really need these guys to, um, to, to keep, be motivated, you know, no job is secure. And I think they really not only talk the talk, but now they're walking the walk on that kind of statement that Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott, when they speak, they always say, Hey, you know, we're going to probably bring in whoever we can to, make the roster the best it can be. And whether that uh, pushes a guy who you think is going to be the starter out or not, um, you know, we just want the best football players here at the end and then let the, the depth chart figure itself out. Yeah, hundred percent. And when I saw this this morning, I felt like the bills this offseason added strictly offensive line. When they added offensive line, they added a lot of competition, right? Like that was their main goal to add competition, maybe outside of, I guess, Deion Dawkins left tackle. They don't really need to add, I guess, competition and I guess Mitch Morse, but adding, I guess, McGovern and adding Torrance pushes Bates to potentially be a backup center. So that's not competition, but it's depth. If Mitch Morse deals with an injury and you brought in David Edwards, you brought in McGovern, you brought in Torrance uh, and you brought in competition for basically every position and right tackle was kind of the only position where you're just like, they didn't bring anything. Like you have Questenberry back, but I think on Questenberry's best day and I guess Spencer Brown's best day, you would probably take Spencer Brown over Dave and Questenberry to what we saw. So you bring in Brandon Shell and it pushes Spencer Brown a little. And he's the type of player that probably needs a little push, right? Like he's I know the Bills have said all the right things about Brown and they've also and they want him to win that job. And they kind of you can kind of tell they want him to win that job. He's not the type of player at this point of his career where he should just be handed the right tackle position. Like that's he's not Deion Dawkins. He's not Mitch Morse. So bringing in Brandon Shell kind of gives you that, I guess, depth position, but it also you never know. Like if Brandon Shell excels in camp and Brown Knocklewood deals with another injury or just struggles, then you have an option that's not David Questenberry. So yeah, it, it's an insurance policy with with starting upside because you know worst case scenario Spencer Brown deals with another injury this year or something along those lines. At least you have someone waiting in the wings that you feel confident in, you know, Questenberry, they, they like Questenberry, but uh, to, you know, to Lance's point, this is someone that can play guard. This is someone that can play all, all across the line. Uh, Brandon shell. He's played left tackle before, but he is pretty much 
strictly a right tackle at this point in his career. That's where his best ball is played. Uh, this is that legitimate competition, in my opinion, uh, for Spencer Brown. And, you know, like you said, Brendan Bean has said all the right things in terms of he had to opt out his final season in college or he chose to opt out that final season with COVID and everything else. So he trained that year. Back surgery last year, so he missed a lot of reps. All of that is true. Uh, but as much as Spencer Brown flashed at times as a rookie, you need to see that consistency. You want to have someone that's kind of waiting in the wings, like they had a few years ago with Ty Inseki. There's nothing wrong with having that veteran uh, that you have that confidence in. And you mentioned already all the guards that they brought in this offseason. Um, you know, Edwards, who has the experience playing under Cromer, McGovern, whose best football is in front of him. I think they would have been fine with those two just alone at guard. And then when Osiris Torrance fell into their laps in round two, they had no choice but to take him. So now you even have a lot of options there. And I'm not sure the Bills would be willing to do it. But, you know, Ryan Bates has the ability to play tackle. I don't know if you'd want to put him out there. Uh, it's been a while. He's more of a, he's played guard, obviously, a lot more in the, the past few years. But it even gives them some options there just because, you all of a sudden have a lot of solid options at guard too. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And you said Brandon shell mainly right tackle at this point last year, he for the yeah. Dolphins 669 snaps at right tackle and 92 snaps at left tackle mm-hmm. the year before he didn't take a single snap at left tackle. So he's strictly a right tackle and I'm going to go off topic here for a second, but I know when I listened to the shout maybe a month or two ago, you guys talked about Dalton uh, Reisner Mm-hmm. potential and he's still free agent i know the bills are not in the market for him at all but i was just curious because i was like we were talking about late uh free agents that were still available at this point and he's a, a top tier guard and he's still yeah, he was kind of my main guy i really was hoping yeah. that we would yeah. we were gonna kind of sign him early on and and we didn't end up and he's still out there and it makes me wonder uh what his medicals look like or if there's something else that we don't know about that uh or maybe he's looking for too much money on the open market and oh, people funny. just don't want to pay that i'm not really sure but um, getting back to Spencer Brown a little bit, if I might, uh, mm-hmm. I think that when it comes to consistency, you see uh, Brandon Thorne, who's the trench warfare guy that throws out a lot of old line film. I've been watching him. He's been posting a lot lately and I just subscribed to everything. So I've been watching a lot of that. And one of the things that those good right tackles have been doing, I think, is kind of he talks about setting that good base, but then also keep the feet moving so that you can kind of move and and strike your target when whenever you're engaging with him. So I think that's what Spencer Brown needs to focus on. I just looked back at one game so far. I'm going to go through kind of his game by game film and do a little something in the background for built in Buffalo. But um, but right now, you know, I've, I've watched the Rams game and and the big thing I took away was he didn't have the consistent base he needed and he didn't have the feet consistently moving. And then he did not have any striking power really at all. Now I know the Rams defensive line is fairly decent, especially with Aaron Donald on the line and things. And he did have a turnstile in Saffold next to him or no, I'm sorry. He had Bates. Bates didn't play that well that game. I guess that's what I was thinking. But I, but I think that the Spencer Brown issue is going to be getting comfortable, consistently setting the base and being able to strike his opponents because he's, he's kind of letting them come to him and let it, and they're blowing by him. So he really needs to set that edge and be able to go out there and, and set a forceful strike on his defensive line opponent. Yeah. And, you know, listen, Brown is just a, a massive human being. And, and when it comes to technique with a lot of those guys, there's not a ton of offensive tackles that are six, eight, three, something. Uh, it's it's kind of hard to teach them technique. I and mean, it goes back to Osiris Torrance where he said at OTAs 
Uh, last week that he finds it interesting working with Aaron Cromer because Cromer, when he teaches these techniques to each offensive lineman, it's based on your size. It's based on what you're good at and tackle you're out on an Island. So it's a little bit different than guard like Torrance, but uh, it, it, what's what the bills are probably working on with Spencer Brown is completely different than what they're working on. Even with Deion Dawkins at left tackle or what they're working on at guard with Osiris Torrance and Mitch Morse. And, uh, he's got a lot of areas to clean up. The, the upside, the raw talent, it's all there for Spencer Brown. Uh, I liked a lot of his tape from college when he did play. Obviously, I mentioned the fact that he didn't play that final season, but you could see the flashes, and you saw those flashes at times during his rookie year too. But at this point in his career, year three, that's when you're supposed to really put it all together, and he's a little bit behind the eight ball because of that back injury last year um, and, and a lot of up-and-down play last year as well. 100%. So we're going to move towards maybe less of the O-line. We're going to talk about DeAndre Hopkins. And this is something, obviously, that's very popular for Bills fans. You put If you type DeAndre Hopkins on Twitter and you type and you put a hashtag Bills Mafia on a tweet, you'll blow up on Twitter and you don't have to say anything. It's a, kind of a funny thing. And I saw this morning or today when I put a tweet out about Brandon Shell And, Ryan, I think the same thing happened to you. You put a tweet out about Brandon Shell and people were like, oh, is this the end for DeAndre Hopkins? Like, is this the sweepstakes for DeAndre Hopkins? And obviously it's not. Brandon Shell won't. If the Bills really want DeAndre Hopkins, then Brandon Shell is not going to stop them. So, Ryan, I'm going to start with you. Do you st- At this moment, it's Monday night. It's 8. Now it's 8-17. Are the Bills still the favorite or one of the favorites in your eyes to get DeAndre Hopkins? Yes, absolutely. And just real quick on Shell, my understanding is it's pretty close to the vet minimum, if not yeah. just truly the vet minimum. So that's not going to cost the Bills much in, in terms of the grand scheme of things. And when it comes to Hopkins, I still view the Bills as the, one of the favorites, if not the favorite, because they still have cards that they can play. Uh, obviously, they can restructure the contracts with Trey White. They can do something with Deion Dawkins. Um, those two guys alone can free up a lot of money. But the other thing you can do is when you're uh, in the NFL these days, you can add extra years onto the contract, those dead cap years. You can add on uh, multiple years, and you can lighten the cap hit here for the this upcoming season. Yeah. Well, uh, and obviously you're, you're paying a certain amount those upcoming seasons, but it, it's usually – I don't want to say minimal because I think what they're paying Beckham's a little up there. But um, for the most part, it's something that the Bills can work with and tinker with and play with. And, you know, with the TV contract money coming in here in the near future, if you want to have a higher cap hit next year, it's something they could reasonably do. Lance, DeAndre Hopkins. You still on the DeAndre Hopkins train to Buffalo? Yeah, I mean, I never really gotten off it. I think okay. that I even overextended myself uh, with uh, saying things to people on Twitter about how much I thought he was a favorite to come to Buffalo. Uh, versus the Chiefs and uh, you know I just I'm passionate about uh, you know the the Bills obviously and and getting DeAndre Hopkins the year after getting Von Miller I think is something that kind of shows the fan base and they haven't done a lot of this they've kind of taken their stab at one guy with like Diggs or now that you know they did that with Miller but uh, it would be nice if they do back-to-back years where they kind of just bring in and I know Hopkins probably is more of a name than what he's going to contribute at this point in his career. But I think he's got enough left in the tank where you can really help the team this year and then, you know, see where it goes from there. You know, hopefully, obviously signing him is going to be a risk because he uh, could get injured. But I think you can't, um, you know, let that cloud 
the judgment and and he's he's a superstar on and off the field and he has been for a long time and i think it's uh getting that type of player in your building at all costs is is something that the bills need to prioritize here yeah i think one you're adding i still think he's an elite receiver i don't know if he's a top 10 receiver still in the nfl but i'm not going to start naming 10 nfl receivers right now uh but he's a guy that has dealt with like very up and down quarterback play uh most recently with the Cardinals and he dealt with, was it Colt McCoy was most, mostly his quarterback like last year. Like, and he dealt with like interesting coaches, Bill O'Brien, uh, Cliff Kingsbury, who never deserved to be an NFL coach to start with. And it's just like, he's coming, obviously if he came to Buffalo, he, he, he mentioned this, he mentioned he wants to be part of a stable organization. And for the first time in my lifetime, I'm only 22 that I can say the bills are a stable organization. So you have Bean, who's been here for multiple years. You have, Sean McDermott, you have a few, you have a stud at quarterback who's not going anywhere anytime soon. So you have sustained winnings, sustained success. Why wouldn't he want to come to Buffalo? Obviously, the money has to work, right? Like he says he wants to win. He wants to win a Super Bowl. But if let's say, for example, the Bears come calling or the Lions come calling and it's just a ton of money and the Bills just can't do it, there's nothing you can do about that, right? Like the Bills are gonna be up against the cap. They're they're I guess preaching towards DeAndre Hopkins, or this would be my pitch to win a Super Bowl to play with Josh Allen, play alongside Diggs. And you kind of like people said this, you kind of make it work, right? Like I know you bring you brought in Hardy, you brought in Sherfield, you have Gabe Davis, obviously you have Stefan Diggs, but DeAndre Hopkins trumps all of them besides Stefan Diggs. Like it just it creates such a dynamic offense, and you can do some really scary things with that offense with Kincaid, with Knox, with Diggs, Hopkins. And Davis, and then you can change up the personnel of Hardy and Sherfield with some speed, Shakir. Like it's just, it just one, it makes you so so much harder to defend, and it helps Josh Allen. And you also have Diggs, who's getting a little older. It kind of takes a little bit of a load off of him, so he doesn't have to uh, go up against the number one corner every time. And if you double Diggs, be my guest. You have Hopkins, you have Davis. Like it just creates such a different offense for the Bills. Yeah, completely different offense. And when you're talking about Hopkins, you guys mentioned it. I mean, obviously he had Watson for a few years. He had Kyler Murray at times. But this is a player that's on a Hall of Fame trajectory despite having um, some some very questionable quarterbacks over the years in his time. (laughs) You know, it's not great quarterbacks, and he's produced, and he even produced this past season. It's pretty wild when you think about how great he's been at times Uh, based on the quarterbacks that he's been handed in this past season, he comes off of this uh, suspension and uh, he still is very productive, averaging about 80 yards per game in an offense that wasn't very good overall. So it's just for the bills, you're one injury away from losing Stefan Diggs. And if you lose him, then it, it gets really questionable at wide receiver. Gabe Davis had his moments in the playoffs two years ago. Obviously he's had, He's flashed at times in the regular season. He had the high ankle sprain last year. He's not someone you want to depend on as wide receiver one. I think he can. He is capable of being a wide receiver two. Don't get me wrong with that. But you don't want to depend on the I think he can be. When you can get a guy like DeAndre Hopkins, know he can be that. And if that's your top three, that's a great problem to have because if you want to run three wide receiver sets and you want to – get the most out of it. Maybe you slide digs into the slot yes, at times. Exactly. Yeah. Create those mismatches and you still have Hopkins on the outside. You still have Gabe Davis who can stretch the field on the outside. You can run the two wide receiver sets with, with Hopkins and Diggs, and then put Kincaid in the slot and have Knox. <laughs> other. It just creates so many problems for these 
uh, players on the opposing, you know, defensive side of the ball that I think that the Bills, that's what they need to do. That's what Ken Dorsey wants to be able to do. And uh, with Hopkins himself, you know, it's fun to speculate and to look. And uh, obviously when he said goodbye to the Cardinals, Bills fans loved it because he didn't put in the Hale Murray picture. And you would think that was such a big play in his career. That's not in there. So a lot of people are speculating on that. I saw Patriots fans tonight speculating on his latest Instagram story because it showed the uh, Patriots Super Bowl win over the Falcons. So, you know, fans are going to clamor to any little bit of information that they can get right now or they're going to try to connect the dots. At the end of the day, Hopkins, it's, it's going to come down to does he really want to win a championship more than anything else? Because if so, he's, he might have to leave a little bit of money on the table. I'm not sitting here saying he's signing for three or five million. It's going to be in the double digits, in my opinion, obviously. Closer to that $15 million that Odell Beckham Jr. signed for. Uh, but it might be around 15 in cap there, not at 18, not at 20. Uh, we'll have to kind of wait and see. But there are other teams out there that could offer him more money, like a, a Detroit Lions, if you believe they're an yeah. up-and-coming team. And, and you know, uh, obviously they have one of their top receivers is suspended now for six games. They still have Amon Ross St. Brown, but you could add Hopkins in the mix there. It, it could be a team that comes out of nowhere, but I still think it comes down right now to the Bills or the Chiefs with the Bills maybe saying, you know, we need him a little bit more than Kansas City. And, and that's not because Kansas City is loaded on offense. They still believe, though, in Kelsey. They they like Kadarius Toney. They, they, you know, they mix and match these guys very well. And Mahomes, year in, year out, makes, you know, gets the best out of those players. Also, one last before you keep going. I want to say with the Patriots with DeAndre Hopkins, I feel like that makes zero sense. Not because of the Patriots, but because Bill O'Brien's there, right? Like, I feel like yeah. the relationship for Bill O'Brien and DeAndre Hopkins didn't end well in Houston. Obviously, he traded him to Arizona. I'm not saying it's bad now. I have for no peanuts idea. almost, right? Yeah, for, was it David Johnson in a second? And this was, I think it was David Johnson in the second round pick, and this was at the prime of DeAndre Hopkins' yeah. career, when he was probably the best receiver in the National Football League at that point. 100%. So I'm assuming him and Bill O'Brien are not the best buddies over there right now. They might not hate each other and it might work, but like, I don't know. I feel like that, that, that scenario makes a little, doesn't make a ton of sense for me. Yeah. They're probably not exchanging Christmas cards or anything like that. But if if you back up a big enough Brinks truck, I think he's willing to probably work with just about anyone. I, but like you said, if he really wants to try to win a Super Bowl here, and I don't want to say the twilight of his career, the second stage of his career, I don't see that being in New England. They have a lot of questions at quarterback. They don't have the most talented roster. I do like a lot of their defensive pieces, but the offense has a lot of question marks. Yeah, Lance, De- uh, DeAndre Hopkins, how much money would you give him? Like, what kind of contract? One, two-year deal? Three-year deal might be pushing it, but what, what do you want yeah. to do? Yeah, I'd like to have him secured for at least two years uh, personally, but I know that um, – some other folks have put out contract details where they kind of just stacked um, two two contracts on top of each other and, and made it look like that could work for a DeAndre Hopkins deal. So I think that that's probably right. I you know, I would like to see it. I again, it's just like go get the guy. You know, what I know that the deals take time to work out and and things, and he may have to see. Um, but Detroit might be some a team that he might like, but I just. Again, that's another team where if you're looking for that, they don't have the quarterback. That's the piece that I think you really need, and I think he really is going to want to play. Uh, I don't know what the Jaguars' cap situation is, but you know he might want to play with Trevor Lawrence. Who knows? Maybe someone like him excites him. He mentioned uh, Jalen Hurts on his podcast appearance and things like that, so you don't know what Philly wants to do. They're probably not, but 
Um, you know, I'm just excited. Some of these possibilities we talk about with the sets that the offense could run and having DeAndre Hopkins in the mix there uh, makes a, a ton of sense for Buffalo. So I think they need to be the aggressor here. I think it's fun that we're kind of the possibility for Buffalo, you know, in past years and especially through the drought era and stuff, you never really had that. Um, that was we didn't have a lot of these conversations um, during that time. And it was, okay, we got Mario Williams, but what did it really do for us? Didn't really move the needle on where the team went and at the end of the day because, again, we didn't have that constant that we needed, and that's the quarterback position. So, uh, you know, I think that teams that don't have that solidified quarterback position are going to have a hard time convincing Hopkins, and New England fits that as well. So Detroit, New England, those kind of teams, the teams that do have the money have the money because they don't have the quarterback, and that's the, that's the tough part. So he's going to have to weigh those options and see, you know, what – what he thinks uh, is best. And obviously if he wants to take a couple mil less uh, to go play with a stable organization, which he said he wants to, um, you know, then put your money where your mouth is and, and sign that deal. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. So I want to, we'll stay at DeAndre Hopkins for a second. I was going to end with this, but this, and this is covering my face, but I'm right here still. Uh, so the, I'll take this one in a second. So if the bills landed DeAndre Hopkins, what would their wide receiver room look like heading into the season? And what I mean by this question is what would their, I guess, roster be coming week one? Because you, you would assume they would keep six. We've talked about potentially keeping seven wide receivers. They usually keep six. Ryan, am I, am I, if you, am I wrong with that? Do they usually keep six? I'm trying to think if they did keep seven last year or not for the first time. But I mean, they six, started six, seven. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, I mean, okay. but the the past few years before that, it was around six. I, I okay. can't remember a few years. So six to seven range is realistic. So yeah. So but I, only two tight ends. So now that you have Kincaid, you may keep Morris. That's kind of the oh, debate yeah. is if they're going to keep oh, Kincaid yeah. and Morris at tight end. Now you're definitely down to six receivers. Per, you know, if you oh. think of it that way. So. Yeah, with the question. So let's say they bring in Hopkins, right? So Ryan, what would the wide receiver room look like? Let's say we keep, let's say we keep seven, and then let's go six. We'll make mm-hmm. it a little fun. So we're talking about Gabe Davis, Shakir, I guess Hardy, Sherfield, Shorter, and I would say Diggs and Hopkins. Who is that? Who, who would you think would be the seven? Well, obviously you'd have Diggs, Hopkins, Davis as your top three. Uh, they gave Hardy a decent contract, and, and Hardy. Before that foot injury last year, that limited him to I believe one game was po- mm-hmm. you know was listed as one of those breakout candidates across the league by national analysts. And I do like the yard after catch ability, the big playability. So I have him in the mix there as well. Uh, Trent Sherfield I think can have a role on this offense. He's also a really good special teams player. So uh, there's five right there. Um, who else did you say? I'm sorry, I'm, Shakir I'm and Shorter. Shakir obviously it would be number six, six. to me year two. And then, so those would be the six right there. If they keep seven, Shorter would be the the odds-on favorite there. And and Shorter, I know there's a lot of of fans like the build, like the size. He was the former number one recruit in the nation at wide receiver. But, you know, he's, I don't want to say he had a fall from grace in college, but he never lived up to that billing. So if the Bills really had to say, well, we might have to put him on the practice squad and risk losing him. I'm okay with that at the end of the day. This was a day three pick. It's someone that, like I said, didn't come close to being at the level of the player where people thought, I mean, it's funny because you look at some of the players that he was listed above and some of these guys are already in the NFL. Jamar Chase, he was ahead of, he was ahead of Amon Ross St. Brown, just like a who's who of NFL wide receivers right now, guys that have come in, and established themselves, and Shorter was viewed as being like the be-all, end-all of that position. And 
no, I like the physical traits. I like what he could potentially become, but it's a crapshoot. And, and yeah. you don't know that he's ever going to come close to that ceiling. Uh, I was as big of a fan as Khalil Shakir last year as anyone in terms of the player. And we all know that he had a, you know, a very quiet rookie season. I still think that if you bring in Hopkins, he's probably going to have a pretty quiet second season too, but I still think the talent's there. It, it's just tough. You, you are risking slowing the development, I guess, is the best way of putting it, of some of these younger receivers, some of these guys that you have on this roster. But you're yep. also trying to go all in and win a Super Bowl. And it, at the end of the day, if you're able to put one of those Lombardi trophies in your trophy case, it's all it's worth it in the end. Yeah, and you also have, like, I also think Hardy and Sherfield make a lot of sense, even with Hopkins, because they kind of bring a totally different style mm. of game than Davis does, than Hopkins does, than Diggs does. So they kind of have a role in their team on our team. Shakir probably, I agree, probably slows his development. You know, you know what also probably slowed Shakir's development a little bit was probably drafting Kincaid. That 100% probably would take snaps away from Shakir because you would assume that Shakir would be more of a slot option. I know they like him on the outside as well, but a slot option, Kincaid slides right into that role and probably takes snaps away from Shakir. So that slows his development. But if you're going to cut Justin Shorter and you have DeAndre Hopkins, I think most of us would live with it. I'm, I'm going to be okay with yeah. that. I, it would be it would be probably tough to keep short on the shorter on the practice squad, right? A fifth round pick with those traits, you would assume he would be someone that teams would probably target. You, you would assume that, but you know I've assumed yeah, no. that in years past about other players too, and they just kind of sit there on the practice that's squad true. all season long, and yeah. and that's because every single team has two or three players that they try to stash and that they inside the team building they love and they want to develop and. Um, and obviously it's more than two or three players on a practice squad, but then you have to start looking at other positions in terms of you want to always have that extra quarterback on your practice squad. You want to have this, 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 and this position, whatever it may be based on your strengths and weaknesses and developmental traits. And sometimes that lets a guy like shorter remain on a practice squad. And it's let some bigger name veterans remain on practice squads across the league the past few years where you think, okay, well, a, a team could use a player like that. And then no one ever comes calling or, that player is more than happy to be where they're at. So, um, yeah, you, you would think Shorter might not be able to make it on that roster, but there's always wide receivers out there that each team covets and likes and wants to bring along. So you never know. Shorter could end up staying there the whole season if the Bills had to put him on the practice squad. And can they protect him if he does go on? The, do they have protections anymore? Or not, is that not, quite work? not really. Um, I mean, you can protect them for an individual week, like from a okay. Monday to a Monday, and you can elevate them so many times throughout the year. But um, really, there, there is no true protection. It'd be interesting if the NFL kind of did say there'd be one player you could protect year long on your practice squad. And right. who knows, maybe that happens down the road and it gives you a tough decision to make. But if you can get them onto the practice squad without getting claimed initially after cutdowns, then you can protect them all year. I would love something like that. I don't know if the NFL would ever do it, but it would be interesting. Hundred, Yeah. So we're going to keep moving down here. Lance, I'm going to start with you on this question. We're going to go a little reverse here. What to make of the middle linebacker competition at this moment of OTAs? Lance, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, my perception, and Ryan can obviously – uh, a little bit closer, obviously, to this, but I think it's Dorian Williams' job to lose in an aspect of they're going to bring him along, giving him every chance to win that position out of camp. 
And if he's able to handle the mental side of it, I think he's got the physical tools to absolutely play that position. And I know you love to hear that, but I think that really Dorian Williams is the guy they kind of drafted, as you said, to, to come in and play middle linebacker. Um, I like him there. I saw some, some film of him from the OTA and man, he looks just, how did he look at Ryan in person? Is he just, he's seems like he's just a rock solid dude. He, he's bigger than you would expect, you know, and that's something that one of the first things that Matt told me after the first OTAs and, um, you know, not to promote wing nuts, but he's been at wing nuts a few times now and everyone's mm-hmm. like, man, the guy's, the guy's massive. He, he's a lot bigger than you look. And he has the size, the speed of, of the typical, you know, middle linebacker that a lot of these other teams feel like the Fred Warners of the world. And um, if the Bills have a Fred Warner on their hands, they would love something like that. Yeah, Don't get me absolutely. wrong. So, uh, yeah, he, he has the size. He has the frame to play it. Uh, will he be out there week one? I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I think that he's going to start the majority of the games at middle linebacker this season. I could see the Bills taking the Ramon Humber plan, and that's what they did with Matt Milano his rookie year. They started Ramon Humber at linebacker, and then at some point they kind of turned it over to Milano and they said, okay, this guy's ready. He knows the ins and outs of the playbook. He didn't have to call the plays at that point in his, uh, his career because of what linebacker position he plays, but there's still that learning period. And, and when it comes to the Bills, I think they're going to – McDermott, for better or worse – likes to make the rookies, quote-unquote, earn their starting jobs. And there haven't been a ton that have started day one. Edmonds was one where the Bills really didn't have another option or real competition for them. And they, they kind of slow play a lot of these guys. So I think what might happen is the first handful of games this season, it might be Tyrell Dodson out there. And Dodson uh, has been in this system longer than most on this team. He knows the ins and the outs. He has some athleticism to his game. Uh, I don't necessarily think that this is someone that's just been waiting the wings and is going to take the league over by storm. But when he's played and he's been healthy, he's flashed at times. He's been solid. They brought back AJ Klein to compete for you know some playing time in that role as well. So those are two veteran options to at least start out the year. But I fully anticipate that they're going to hand the job off to Dorian Williams week four, week five, somewhere in that range uh, where they feel like, okay, he's got the playbook down. We feel confident in him as being that uh, manager for the defense in terms of calling the plays. He doesn't necessarily have to make sure everyone's in position. You have guys behind him in Poyer and Hyde who can do that, who can communicate. Uh, You have veterans up front that you really shouldn't have to worry about. So in terms of just relaying the plays and calling that in, I think that that by that point in the season, they're going to have confidence in Dorian Williams. And like I said, the size, the athleticism, everything that the Bills are looking for uh, and in terms of what they're hoping they can get out of the position, Williams checks all those boxes. Lance knows I'm a massive Dorian Williams fan. I when he, I follow me on Twitter, if you listen to the Blitz every Tuesday or you listen to the podcast or whatever, you know I support Dorian Williams. And I thought when the Bills selected him, I was one of the few people that was on board. And Ryan, I usually don't disagree with you, but when I listen to the shout and you, you, I knew you weren't the biggest Dorian Williams fan. That was like one of the first times I was listening. I was like, man, I don't agree with Ryan. And it's totally okay. We don't know. We can't agree on everything. But I just think, I don't think he might not start week one. Like, I, I still think he can start week one. It's just a lot. It, it, it is a lot for a rookie middle linebacker to start week one. But there's no way, in my opinion, unless Dorian Williams just completely like fizzles out and doesn't do anything right, that 
he's not the majority starter for 11, 12 games this season because it's not like Tyrell Dotson or AJ Klein or world breaker or like world breakers behind him. Like it's the guys we kind of know what they are at this point, especially Klein. I guess Dodson's a little younger and has a little less experience. We don't fully know, but we kind of know what Tyrell Dodson is at this point. So I expect Dorian Williams to be the middle linebacker. But when I heard he was, when Dermot said he was playing middle linebacker, I was one of the few, not few people, but I was one of the people who was kind of tooting my own horn a little. Yeah, and, and well-deserved. And, and when they first drafted Williams, the biggest knock I had against him was, wasn't was his actual gameplay. It's what Brandon Bean said after the draft. Yeah, he Brandon said, Bean. <laughs> yeah, so maybe he was bluffing or maybe, <laughs> you know, plans changed. He goes, we're going to start him on the outside behind Milano, and we're going to have him play on special teams. And I absolutely hate the let's draft a guy in the third round to be a backup and a special teams player. Right. Yeah. So that was my big knock against the Dorian Williams pick. Now that they're saying – we're letting him compete for that that middle linebacker job. I love it. He was a tackling machine in college. Uh, he sheds blockers, in my opinion, a lot better than Edmonds ever did. You know, Edmonds had had the, that freak athleticism. He he had the wingspan where he took a portion of the field away from opposing quarterbacks just from where he stood, where they didn't want to throw in that vicinity because he could bat passes. He did shield players in terms of the routes and things of that nature. Williams isn't going to be able to do that, but he's going to be able, be able to do a little bit better job in terms of the coverage, in my opinion, mm-hmm. on certain running backs. And Edmonds wasn't bad in coverage, don't get me wrong, but there were certain speedy guys that a person of Edmonds' size and frame really just couldn't keep up with realistically where I think Williams has a better shot. Yeah, I think Dorian Williams also was mocked by Peter and I a bunch of times. I had him in the fourth, but what you said about getting a guy to back someone up in the third round, not only that, but to do it two years in a row, right? Because they did the same thing with Bernard in the third round the year previous. So I think that if what Brandon Bean said held true, it was just a total like mind-blowing pick to a lot of people. And, And that's where I was just like, not if that's what you're planning on doing, but if you're planning on, you know, giving him the middle linebacker job or a shot at it, which they are, you know, going to end up doing, I think that that makes a lot more sense. But, uh, you know, I, I didn't really ever think of him during the draft process, reading the profiles as a backup to Milano type. I thought he was going to come in and, and play and Peter, uh, pounding this into my head every week. You know, he said, you know, look, Warren Williams can come in and, and play middle linebacker. So now I think that, it's uh, it was definitely uh, some uh, head scratcher when it was two years in a row at the same position. If that held true, but I think the relief is that he's going to compete at the middle linebacker spot, and I think he's got the fast track there if he can get the mental side of it down. Yeah, and I also think when it comes to Dorian Williams, I think if you watch his tape at Tulane, he was a l- better at getting after the quarterback than I think Tremaine Emmons is. And I'm the biggest, one of the biggest Tremaine Emmons fans. I'm a Virginia Tech football fan. He went to Virginia Tech. Like when he was drafted and I, I was still, I was like 16. I was so excited. And I, I love Tremaine Emmons. I was always defending him on everything, but there were some things he just couldn't do because of his size, right? Like Brandon Bean even mentioned that recently on a podcast. Like he could, I think it was a podcast, but he couldn't do some things just because of his size. And then when you saw Doran Williams and you saw him being such a different frame, different size, a lot of Bills fans kind of panicked. And then a lot of Bills fans realized that not every middle linebacker is built like Tremaine Edmonds. There's how many, there's not a lot of people that look like Tremaine Edmonds. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of the exception, not one the rule. Of one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So people, I think so people kind of starting to realize maybe Doran Williams, maybe not a day one potential starter, but he's 
he's here to play middle linebacker and Brandon Bean did not help at all with his comments. So thank you, Brandon Bean for confusing people. Yeah, it was definitely confusing, but I do like the fact that the bills probably realize that you kind of have to shift with the times and the way that teams are playing on offense and getting someone that's a little bit smaller, a little more athletic uh, was the way to go there. I'm excited to see how he fits into Sean McDermott's defense. And I know, since you know McDermott's been here, it's technically been Sean McDermott's defense. But I think you're gonna see more aggressiveness this year where Dorian Williams might get more opportunities to blitz and go after the quarterback than uh Edmonds ever did in, in a given year when he was playing the position. So it, it's gonna be fun to watch. Yeah, yeah I think that on that on that same point is you know, McDermott's defense is gonna look probably a little bit different, at least if not quite a bit different. And just if nothing else, the the aggressiveness. I I think that it's exciting to see guys like Teron Johnson. You may see get an uptick in a, in a couple of blitzing scenarios. And I, I'm just excited to see kind of how these di- different guys are utilized on the edge to, to come off, or even through the middle to come come up the middle and, and get these guys. I think the biggest person that helps out is that Oliver, when you start sending guys up the middle and you don't allow people to double team at Oliver, that's going to give that defense such an advantage that, uh, you know, I think you kind of on a contract year and a, and a guy getting a more aggressive play call at Oliver is definitely a guy to watch to, to get uh, benefited from, from that blitzing scenario. Yeah. I, I think Oliver, you know, obviously he's also be very motivated in a contract year. Now that he, I always want to preface and say that not, not that he hasn't been motivated the past few years, but when, when players are are up for the, the the big money contracts, something else like flips in in uh, in them that flips uh, flipping the switch, so to speak. And I think he is going to be highly motivated to either get a, you know try to get a big contract here or elsewhere with his play. Uh, I like the fact that the blitzing could help him. I like the fact that Daquan Jones is back when healthy. He was great. They bring in Puna Ford. Uh, they bring in some options and some rotational pieces there that could really uh, help him out a lot. And then obviously I have sky high expectations for Greg Rousseau. You know, Von Miller will eventually be back. So that D line on paper has a lot of promise and talent. Yeah, I think like you said, Puna Ford come Puna Ford getting brought in helps and Oliver because you would assume Knockwood, everyone healthy, that at all times he would have have either Daquan Jones next to him or Puna Ford to clog. I would say the lane. I guess it's the lane. We'll call it the lane. And it just makes Ed Oliver's job a little easier. It makes him less of, I guess, quote unquote, a true run stopper and kind of let him get after the quarterback. But yeah, Ed Oliver should have an impact here. He kind of has to if he wants to get paid. And it, it might not be long term with the Bills. And we might just have to accept that. And I know, I think most of the Bills fans are kind of split down the middle on Ed Oliver. I'm on the camp where it has to be the right money for Ed Oliver. You should not be overpaying for Ed Oliver, in my opinion. But it does hurt that he was – was he the 10th pick of the draft? Nine. The, nine. So nine, I was just saying top 10 pick. So, yeah, he was a top 10 pick. So that kind of hurts a little bit. But, yeah. So I think I'm split too because I never really liked the pick initially, and then now he's played, and, and I kind of do like his style if they can give him the right, um, you know – accoutrements so to speak to to get you know and and compliment him you know the right compliments on that line and i think it kind of leads us into the next 
the one D line question we kind of had here, if you want to go into that, Peter, is who's, yeah. who needs to step up um, on the edge with the potential absence of Von Miller. I'm banging the drum that I, I want to see Von Miller week one. And I know it's not likely, it's not uh, necessarily what everyone would predict, but for me, it's just watching him on film. And I, I don't know how much you interact with Von or not, or how much you've gotten a chance to see him, but I, just watching the, his his mannerisms, the way he's talking, and and the way he's going about his business, he kind of said something in his press conference about having like the nine month plan, and he had the surgery in December, so nine months brings him to September, brings him to week one or maybe week two. And I just I think if they're gonna bring him out in games with a pitch count, those first three games before the Miami games would be the games to kind of get him in a rhythm, even if he plays, you know. 15, 20 snaps against the Jets opening night or something, you know, or, and then, you know, increase it from there. And then by the week four, when we kind of got to have it against Miami, you, you have him, you know, able to go full, full bore. So for, for me, I just want to say, you know, on the edge, I think that my guy there is kind of Shaq Lawson, even though he's kind of buried behind Epinesa and Basham. But I really think you want to look to more of that veteran presence that Shaq Lawson brings. And he's got so much familiarity with the team and the guys that I really would like to see him to step up on the edge when when Von Miller may be absent. So we'll kick it over to you, Ryan, on, on what you think on this question. Yeah, so first with Von, you know, obviously he says he wants to be out there ready for week one. I think he said the week six is the deadline and for the latest that he'll be out there. And Everything you see on social media, the videos of him working out look promising. The way he's moving looks great. Um, but the final say will come down to the team. And, you know, last year I watched Trey White a lot at training camp doing certain drills off to the side. And I thought, man, he might be back sooner than I thought. Ended up being Thanksgiving. And I'm not saying that Vaughn's going to be out until Thanksgiving because his role is a lot different than a, the role of a cornerback where there's a lot more cutting, a lot more, you know, the way that they play the game is a lot different between those two positions. And Vaughn's been through this before, so he obviously does know what's uh, what's going on. But I, I think he could miss the first four weeks of the season realistically. And, you know, there's some still very winnable games in that first four-game stretch, whether he plays or not. But who needs to step up, you know, in his absence is the guy that starts opposite of him, and that's Greg Rousseau. I think Rousseau would have ended up with double-digit sacks last year if he didn't suffer the high ankle sprain, if he didn't suffer the injury that kind of uh, hurt his – I thought he got off to a great start last season, and then that kind of hampered him, and it kind of led to his end of the season kind of going pretty quietly. But he did double from four to eight sacks uh, from year one to year two. He ended up top 20 in win rate and uh, you know, showing what he could do as a pass rusher as well. He's been solid against the run. I think that, like I said, year three is that that prove it year for players to show that they have that it factor. So when it comes to Rousseau, I want to see him kind of pick up from where he was early on in his second season, become that dominant presence on one side. And, and if he can do that, then guys like Shaq Lawson, someone who's always been really good against the run, uh, that is fine against the pass. He's you know he's not a superstar by any means in terms of a, being a pass rusher, but. He's capable if the pocket breaks down and making a play. Epinesa quietly had six and a half sacks last season. Boogie Basham, uh, Matt did a Matt Perino did a great piece on him this offseason where Basham knows this is a make or break year for him, not just with the Bills, but staying in the NFL long term. So these guys all know what they need to do this year, uh, whether it's one of those rotational pieces or whether it's Rousseau, who in, in my opinion knows that he has the skill set, the in, the uh, intangibles. 
everything you look for to be a dominant pass rusher. For me, though, has to be Roussel because he's the guy that you drafted late in round one a few years back. He's the guy that has that wingspan, that size, the athleticism, though, to also be able to win that way. He has the full toolbox, so to speak. Yeah, Rousseau makes a ton of sense. I'm going to ask you a question, but I want to say, Ryan, I want to ask you another question, but I want to say something about Rousseau. I put a tweet out two days ago, and I said a big year three coming for Gregory Rousseau because 2021, he had four sacks. Last year in 2022, he had eight sacks. And if you like PFF, if you don't, I'm going to tell you PFF no matter what. So 2021, he had a 70.2 grade. This past year, he had an 83.6 grade. So he's improved from year one to year two. And I, I agree. I think those eight sacks probably would have been 10 or 11 if he didn't get injured or if Von Miller was there the whole year. And that shouldn't be the reason he gets sacks, that Von Miller has to be on the other side. But why not, right? It's a sack. A sack's a sack. So it doesn't really matter how you get it. So I, I expect double-digit sacks from Greg Rousseau probably in the 10 to 12 range. It would make sense on his uh, trajectory. Some guy said he doubles every year, so he's going to have 16 sacks this year. I'm like, <laughs> okay, I'll take 16 sacks. That might be just a bit unrealistic. But I was going to ask you, Ryan, I know the Bills, they added Cameron Klein off waivers from the Colts. Are we done adding a potential edge rusher in your mind? No, I don't think necessarily they are. I still think there's a lot of really good veterans out there on the market. Um, obviously, there's some Justin Houston's that the Bills get linked to. Uh, situational pass rusher, older player, Frank Clark's still out there. It wouldn't shock me if a player like Leonard Floyd came to the Bills, someone that's played with Von Miller, someone that I think would be cheaper than some of the names that I mentioned. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if that was the case either. But it, it comes down to the Bills probably wanting to evaluate what they currently have on this roster uh, in OTAs, maybe even into training camp. And a lot of those players, like I mentioned, the Justin Houston's of the world, the Frank Clark's of the world, even the, the – the uh, Leonard Floyd's of the world, they're older players and they probably aren't going to be heartbroken if they're not out there at training camp early on where they know they're not necessarily going to start. They're going to be play more of a situational role. So I, I still think that the door is open for them to add one of those players, um, especially in terms of we don't know what's going to happen with Hopkins at receiver. If they miss out on Hopkins, they can still restructure Trey White, Deion Dawkins, and have the money to add a pass rusher instead. So you know, if they end up signing Hopkins, maybe that does shut the door a little bit more in terms of adding a veteran pass rusher because of the price tag involved. But, no, I'm not shutting the door on it right now. Yeah, and I also think if you bring in, let's say, for example, you said Leonard Floyd, that 100%, not 100%, that might he might jump a Boogie Basham, an A.J. Ampinenza, and a Shaq Lawson. Like, he's been more productive, clearly, in his career. I don't know if at this point he is, but it you can argue that he's better than Basham or Epinenza or Lawson. You could argue also the other way. So Leonard Floyd would – I don't know if I want to put difference maker around his name at this point, but he's still a very productive player. Yeah, productive. And, and uh, if the Bills feel like they have too much – no, I don't want to say too much talent because that's a good problem to have. But if they feel like they wouldn't be able to keep all of those players on their 53-man roster, they could look in to trade an Epinenza. Like I said, there's teams that are going to look and say, okay, he had six and a half sacks last year. He's still a young player. He's someone that we had graded high in his draft class. We think that we can unlock some things there. The Bills could get an early day three pick, you know, probably fifth round realistically. I wouldn't say even a fourth rounder. And I know that's not great value on a former second round pick, but if, if they can upgrade that position and then trade one of those players away and, and get some kind of capital in return, I think it's not the worst idea. 
Leonard Floyd last year had nine sacks for the Rams. The year before, I was gonna say Leonard Floyd definitely better. Yeah, like I, I, I had no idea he had nine sacks last year. Like that's yeah. That would, would that have been second on the team last year? How many Von Miller have before that injury? You might, Eight, that might have passed Vaughn actually. Yeah, I don't remember what Vaughn, but Leonard Floyd would 100 percent be a great option. He probably wants. He probably wanted way too much money. Starter uh, for agency, and he could be. He could have dropped. He's also thirty, not crazy old. If you got him, even a one-year contract. So if you for he probably be more than a vet min- minimum. Yeah, I would say sure. Floyd would probably five to seven mil range, or is that am I, is that too high there? Um, I don't know if it's too high. I mean, when it comes to players like that, I think you could you could get somewhere around five, maybe with some incentives involved too that could Ooh, raise like it up incentive. a few million and yeah. in sack incentives, snaps. Yeah. You know, yeah. if you're out there for this percentage of the snaps and, and make it realistic, say we we know that Vaughn's going to come back at this point. We know that we have Rousseau, yeah. but we still want you to be a big part of our rotation. So if you hit this, you know, uh, benchmark, then you can also get this kind of money. So yeah. th- there's ways to make the player happy and the team happy and find that middle ground. I'm on the winner Floyd train. No, yeah, I like it. I think it makes a lot of sense. You got me on the winner Floyd train. Did have, uh, <laughs> did have eight sacks last year. So he's... Uh, but he got you know, definitely would have been the would have been the top, yeah, with with injury. So mm-hmm. I, I liked what we have there at the defensive end. I I think Leonard Floyd's 100 percent better than any of the guys we have right now outside of Rousseau and Von Miller. So uh, I love I love the uh, the personnel. I mean, even down to Kingsley Jonathan, uh, yeah. Syracuse alum, who I'm enamored with. Uh, you know, he's got a great story and and just uh, one of those kids that. Uh, came into America and then now playing at a high level. I think he's going to have something to say about who's around during camp as well. So I'm I'm excited to see how this depth at at edge plays out. And I wonder if, if, you know, guys like Kingsley uh, maybe prevent them from overspending or going out to put too much uh, and maybe giving these younger guys a chance at this stage where we are with the cap and where we are with our franchise. And maybe it makes more sense to, to let the younger guys and see what they can do. Now, I would love for them to have studs at every single position and not have to play a single young guy and have a proven guy at every place that we can. But but I think at some point you got to make a decision to say, okay, we're going to cap it here and we've kicked enough cans down the road or we've done enough restructuring and this is where we stand and this is as far as we're willing to go. So maybe, like you said, the DeAndre Hopkins uh, situation does – potentially shut a door there if if he ends up coming on so i, I think that thinking uh, i like the way that you think there and uh it's it's gonna be uh interesting to see how that plays out yeah 100 so i want to end the show before we before we get out of here uh the cornerback competition behind trey white ryan do we is there a legit competition for cornerback two between Kyrie Elam, Dane Jackson, and Christian Bedford? Uh, in in Bill speaking, yes. They're not just going to hand the job to Elam. But if all things are equal, if all things are close to equal, I think they give the job to Elam in, in year two. And I think it's the right move to make. Listen, year one, you bring him in, you, you trade up for him, I think from 27 to 25, uh, somewhere in that vicinity to, to get him into this team. But he didn't necessarily fit in terms of what this defense did. This defense is very zone heavy. He was more press man. He played a, a much different defense at Florida. You draft Christian Benford, who played a ton of zone in college. And week one rules run last year. Benford's in that starting lineup playing significant reps. And 
you're kind of scratching your head, but it came down to the fit. It came down to the system. It's the same reason I really like Alex Austin this year. Their last pick in the draft, yeah. he played he played in a multi-scheme defense. It wasn't just all zone, but he was really good in zone in, at Oregon State, so I could see him making his case for a roster spot. But going not for a starting job, though. Don't get me wrong. I'm not hyping him up into being part of that competition. But <laughs> no, Elam though, when Elam was on the field last year, I feel like he did a good job. I feel I like. Agree. He made some big plays. He had the interception in the Chiefs game and the playoff game against Miami. He had a pass defense. He had some really strong coverage. Uh, every time he was given an opportunity, I feel like he was he met that, you know, that he was up to task in terms of what they needed from him. So I want to see him get more snaps, more opportunities. Last year, I understood it. Dane Jackson is that solid cornerback where he's not going to wow you he's not going to lead the league in interceptions but he's not going to let his guy get behind him he's going to give up some catches but he's going to he's going to wrap him up he's going to tackle the guy he's going to live to see another day i think the bills were afraid to put elam back there and have him bite on a double move and, and give up a a huge chunk play and uh he wasn't quite you know comfortable necessarily with the zone defense but after one full off season after having the ins and outs of this playbook down, I would be very disappointed if Elam is not starting opposite Trey White uh, here in year two. And that's no knock on Benford, who I thought had some really nice moments as a rookie, or Dane Jackson. But Dane Jackson, I feel like we know what his ceiling is. And I'm A-OK with him being a, they're one of their top reserve cornerbacks uh, in case of an injury. In case, yeah, in case you want to get him out there for a handful of snaps. Let you know, let Kyrie Elam get a breather or Trey White get a breather in game. Fine, put him out there ten, you know, five, ten snaps per game. But when it comes to starting, I'm hoping that it's Elam at the end of the day. You drafted the guy in round one. He has the the athleticism, he has the speed where even if he does get beat, he can close that a lot with the speed that he had he has. Um, so th- there's more than enough reasons for me to say it, it's Elam or bust at cornerback two this year. Lance. Yeah, I think the scheme change from maybe a Tampa two heavy to something where he's going to be more cover six, cover four uh, type of scheme under McDermott potentially. And this is speculation. I don't have anything to back it up other than, uh, you know, previous McDermott play calling. Um, But having those, and then the biggest thing I think is having Micah and Jordan back there, that kind of security blanket will allow you to kind of relieve some of that. uh, You know, if he does make a mistake, you know, they, Micah Hyde can make up for a lot of stuff. And we've seen him. I mean, that interception right against New England, was it? You know, yeah. that just yeah. amazing, incredible safety play behind uh, these corners now is going to, you know, hopefully these guys come in and um, are kind of gangbusters, are able to just go full out and not have anything uh, withheld because of any, you know, lingering injury or anything. I hope they kind of hit the ground running this even in training camp and kind of can show out. And I think Elam, the way he learns and we saw with the whole notebook thing and all that stuff, I think having that year one of notes now, having um, the guys in the locker room we have at cornerback and then the receiving talent we have that he goes against in practice on a day-to-day basis um, is going to definitely, the, the again, the iron sharpens iron type of mentality with that. And I think it's going to help Elam take another step in year two here. And I think he kind of needs to, he needs to be that guy because of where we drafted him 23rd overall and trading up. And, and I think you kind of need to 
to see that out of him. Now, Benford, like you said, he he's was solid before the injury, man. He You couldn't take him off the field. So, you know, I think you're in a good spot here at CB2 where you've kind of got three different guys who can either you either know who they are or you know that they're going to um, have some success because they've had and uh, they've played um, those reps you know, in meaningful games with, with Elam or Benford has, you know, had them that success at the beginning of the season enough to, to warrant that position before getting hurt. So it's yeah, a hard, good, good problem to have. Yeah. I was going to say it's yeah. a good problem to have. I think I'm a big believer in Elam. I thought like Ryan, I agree with you when he was on the field, he was very productive. He was very good. And I just don't think not enough praise because he probably didn't deserve a ton of praise, but I thought he was very productive, but it's a good problem to have, right? Like, it's it was it was different if I was asking you guys or we were talking about well, who's cornerback two? We don't have a cornerback two. We're, we don't yeah. we, we have no idea who it is. We have guys that we would all be comfortable for the most part being that CB two, and it just it kind of makes me feel good. It's a good thing to have, but I agree. I think I think Elon takes the job. I don't think he loses it to Benford, but hey, Benford's here to stay. He's not going there. He's definitely not going to safety at this point with the four safeties they have. So. Yeah, so I think that's going to do it for the show. Oh, Ron, I got one more question left. This is a funny question that I thought of. What What do you think Bills fans are more invested in right now, DeAndre Hopkins or Josh Allen's girlfriend? You know, social media <laughs> makes me think it's about a 50-50 tie because every post that I see oh is one or the other, I feel. like I, I still think maybe Hopkins' watch edges it out, but, yeah, there's plenty that are, are kind of keeping tabs on uh, Josh Allen's – dating life which you know to each their own not something that i uh care too much about um you haven't read an article about it yet no and that will never happen <laughs> so <laughs> and i'm perfectly fine with that yeah i think it's kind of crazy that people people also get mad about it about who he's dating and i don't know if he's dead about whatever his situation is and his personal life people get mad that so I saw some tweet that we don't approve of this, and I was like, "What do you mean we? Who's we? I, I don't, I don't care, I don't care enough. Like, yeah, none of my business. Yep, gotta let him live his life. Whatever. He do, I, all, I don't, all I care about is what he does on the field. If it doesn't affect his on-field plays, and I'm, I'm okay. But yeah, Ryan, I appreciate. We both appreciate you coming on. It was a blast. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. So Lance, before we end our show, tell everyone and everyone about our sponsor. Yeah, Underdog Fantasy is the best daily fantasy app and web page you can go to. You can pick use the Pick'em page to get kind of, uh, you know, higher and lower entries in there that gets you kind of instant payouts. And then also daily fantasy and best ball drafts where you, you draft a lineup and then based upon your wager, you get X amount of uh, dollars to double, triple your money and, and that kind of thing. So really cool. Uh, use promo code BLITZ at sign up and you'll get a deposit match from 10 to a hundred dollars and we will really appreciate you yeah we will so make sure you guys use promo code blitz as always if you miss this episode rewatch it on facebook youtube on twitter built in buffalo make sure you follow built in buffalo on all social media platforms and if you prefer the podcast version this comes out wednesday morning apple podcast spotify or wherever you get your podcast follow us all on social medias all that fun stuff. Make sure you follow Ryan. Listen to the shout. Syracuse.com, NewYorkUpstate.com. I'm assuming if you're a Bills fan, you follow Ryan or you know about Ryan. But make sure you follow Lance and I on Twitter. And as always, go Bills. Go Bills. <laughs>